a word from our sponsor. I'm Rusty Keeley. I'm the CEO of the Keeley Companies. My dad, Larry Keeley, started the business, and we're really able to take his entrepreneurial spirit, his commitment to family, and we're able to take that platform and grow it. We didn't lose customers. We just kept adding to customers because we did quality work and we took care of our people. When somebody takes something and makes a success, oh, something you started, it's uh, very special. Our people are special because of, of how much they care about what it is that they do. I've been here for 23 years, uh, started in 96 with a shovel in my hand. We have some of the most incredible people around. Innovators, we have thinkers. You know, we just have people that are passionate about life. The people that make up Keeley are everything good. The people first culture that has led to their amazing success and growth is exactly why we are honored to have them as our partners. Learn more about our partners and friends at their website. It is at KeeleyCompanies.com. One more time, KeeleyCompanies.com. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. As you know, every single week, I look forward to welcoming each of you and sharing meaningful conversations with world-renowned leaders, innovative business minds, and unbelievable storytellers of everyday heroes. Today, on this day, you have the opportunity of hearing a truly beautiful conversation that I shared with Bill Johnson. Now, who is Bill Johnson, John, and why is the story beautiful? Well, lean in. Grab your favorite Live Inspired journal, grab a favorite cup of coffee or whatever is filling the mug today, and you're going to learn more about Bill Johnson. But here's what you need to know on the front side. Bill is my neighbor. Bill was involved in a tragic shooting 30 years ago. Bill is completely blind. Bill recently wrote a book called Snowblind. Bill is an overcomer. He is a water skier. He is a snow skier. He is married. He's one of the most optimistic, joy-filled, and brilliant guys I've ever met. And the fact that I get to be his neighbor and his friend is awesome. The fact that today we get to share this podcast with you, I think you're going to find it awesome. But one more thing you should know about this conversation. It was streaming live around all of our live-inspired social media platforms. That's right, baby. This is hot off the press. We recorded this just yesterday. It streamed on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and probably social media sites that I don't even fully understand how they work or where you find them, but we're there, man. So anywhere that you are tuning into social media, you may want to consider following us at the Live Inspired platform. You can learn more about all of that at John O'Leary inspires.com one more time john o'leary inspires.com we bring you guests yes weekly on the podcast but every couple of weeks or so we stream them out this is a cool way for you to watch them for you to engage with them for you to ask them your questions not just mine but your questions so learn more at john o'leary inspires.com now my friends i want you to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride with a humble man a very good leader, an awesome example, my friend, my neighbor, his name, Bill Johnson. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. 
John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and uh, thank you, Joe Buck, for the introduction. For those of you who are tuning in live with us, we are recording this the day before the podcast launches. So we are live on a Wednesday. We are across all social media platforms. And so if you happen to be tuning in right now, I just encourage you to let us know where you are watching from, where you are tuning in from, where you're listening from. Let us know. And then also share. Share this link with your followers, with your friends, because today's episode is going to be one that will deeply inspire their lives. Yeah, it's going to inspire your lives, but it's going to inspire all those in your neighborhood. That's a key word today, in your neighborhood. So my wife, about 11 years ago, told me that she met an amazing man earlier that day. So I said, uh, tell me about him. She said his name was Bill. She did not for sure catch the last name, but she talked about how this man was making his way down our sidewalk. He was clearly unable to see, but he was journeying to the YMCA by himself. Now, listen, I, I live in Webster Groves, Missouri. There was a YMCA about three quarters of a mile. I never walked there, and I have the ability to see. This gentleman, Bill, was walking, unable to see, but walking for a workout in the morning. Well, a couple of weeks later, I saw Bill walk by our house. A couple of weeks after that, I saw Bill walk by the house again. And this time, I stopped him. I introduced myself and uh, extended my hand, shook his, and began to learn his story. It is this story today, my friends, that will absolutely remind you that in spite of the challenges you faced in the past, that you face right now, or that you might face, you don't even see it coming yet, but you might face going forward, that you are capable of rising above, that your life is worthy, and that the best days remain in front of us. Bill Johnson is the author of a newly released incredible book called Snow Blind. I have a copy in front of me today. And I think after you hear this conversation, you also will want to go out and get a copy for yourself. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to the author of a new book. Let me introduce you to a man who somehow works out still. Let me introduce you to a neighbor and a man that I look up to. His name is Bill Johnson. Brother Bill, neighbor Bill, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Oh, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate this. It's, uh, very, it's humbling to be here. Well, man, I, I feel the same way. And you were the kind of man who you you made me pull a little bit to get the story out of you. You, you shared kind of in passing some of the, the things that happened, some of the things that led to your blindness when we first became neighbors and friends. But in your book, you get right after it. Yeah. Sometimes in books, it begins with words like, a, I was an outgoing child or <laughs> my, my parents raised me this way. You begin with the words July 2nd, 1991. Why do you begin with those words? Well, that's the day when my life changed in, uh, in a very dramatic way. Um, you know, I, I appreciate all your introduction. And if I, uh, you know, by being here, if I could inspire somebody to, to find some strength and, and hope and courage to go on. Um, as you put so well, everybody's got challenges. Um, Big and small, some are dramatic, some are less dramatic, but mine was mine was pretty dramatic. I was uh, I was on a business trip in Atlanta, um, and walking you know to the Marta to the subway there with a friend, uh, my boss who was a good friend, 
and also a client of ours. Um, I work for KPMG, a big accounting firm. And somebody came up behind us uh, for no reason. And I heard pop, 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 pop. It was July the 2nd. And I thought, who in the heck is, fire, is shooting firecrackers in downtown Atlanta? And I, I turned my head. And as I turned my head, I, I got uh, struck you know, in the head through the temples by a bullet. What I'd heard was not firecrackers. It was it was this, this fellow shooting a gun at us, and um, the bullets I'd heard, the shots I'd heard first were the ones hitting uh, my boss and our client. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to turn my head, and I got it, you know, right through the temples. But um, I've, I've never really asked a doctor, but I'm of the belief that had I not turned my head, I'd probably have not survived. Like like my two companions did not survive. Um, and Bill, I'm going to, I'm going to just yes, sir. let you know, only you would use the words. I was fortunate enough to turn and be shot through my temples. Wow. So it, it's, it's this mindset that you shared a moment ago that you share throughout the entire book. And that I witness as a man who lives just three doors down from you, that, that amazes and absolutely humbles me. You also shared in the book that you were going to take a cab that you were only late for this flight. And uh, you're like, yeah, we'll just take a cab. And and the client said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Uh, let's take the Mart. I think you'll get there even quicker. And then rather than pointing you in the direction, he walked with you. It was yeah. a decision that would cost him, uh, your boss, uh, both of their lives and you eventually your vision. But in the book, you never really asked the question, why? You never even really asked the question, oh, gosh, what if? What if we just got in, in the doggone cab? Why don't why don't you play that game? It's one that so many individuals, myself included, play from time to time in their lives. Um, you, you know, John, I, I, I again, I'm going to say I'm fortunate that this was not a violent in, incident to me, and I think that's probably. I mean, on, I mean, it was, of course, the 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 outcome, the impact, the experience I had, but I wasn't assaulted. I didn't uh, I didn't see it in front of me. I didn't fight with a person or anything like that. And I, I guess I believe that because of that, um, I, I was able to move on pretty quickly. Um, you know, I think that going back and saying, playing what if games just really wouldn't do me any good. Um, I got focused pretty quickly um, on what I needed to do, which was to uh, recover, you know, physically to a degree, to a large degree, but, um, you know, and get on with what was going on in my head to uh, to accept this and move on. I, I I guess I've just never seen anything to be gained by uh, going back and playing what if. Mm. So. Bill, you were shot on July 2nd. On July 5th is really the first time you come to. Yeah. When did you realize the extent of the injuries that you'd, you'd experienced? Well, um as I write, um, you know, when I got shot, I, I remained conscious for quite a while. Um, and the pain that I felt was about 99% in my eyes. And I don't know why that was, but I know there's a lot of retinal damage and uh, the optic nerves are pretty beat up and all this. Um, and I remember sit, sitting there on the sidewalk, kneeling with my hands over my eyes because the sunlight yeah. was the, really the painful thing. So I, I was blocking my, uh, my eyes from the sun. 
and I remember thinking, you know, I don't know. I have no idea what just happened to me. I, I didn't put two and two together right there by myself. Um, but I do remember thinking that if I lose consciousness, I'm going to die. Hmm. And so I just focused on staying conscious. Um, strangely enough, I remembered a bunch of uh, Boy, Boy Scout stuff, first aid probably from a merit badge. And uh, I was laying sort of face down, kneeling. And I, I remember thinking, I don't remember very much first aid, but it seems like there wasn't anything where you, you laid down face down. So I rolled over on my back. And uh, I don't know that that was good, bad, or anything else, but um, that, that was kind of what was on my mind. I still didn't know really what had happened. When, when you found out what happened, you were no longer by yourself. You were no longer being treated by the EMTs who you wrote about and right. the ER who treated you on day one. Eventually, yeah. you're going to find that your, your father is there to take your hand and your sister Catherine is on the other side. Right. Just talk about... Because one of the things that unifies us, in addition to our zip code and our proximity physically, uh, is the fact that we spent some time in our lives in darkness. You, you far more than I, but as a little boy, I spent months in darkness and was very scared the entire time. But having family nearby was incredibly comforting to me when I was going through my, my recovery. How, how meaningful was it for you, Bill, to have your dad and your sister around you during those first few days in Atlanta? Oh, it, it was very much so. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was just awesome. Um, and, you know, really when I woke up from, you know, I, I think I was heavily medicated. I I lost consciousness in the uh, CT, but I think they kept me medicated for a couple of days. Yeah, and the first thing I remember really when I woke up, I mean, there was a nurse there who saw me at first, but almost immediately my dad and my sister were right there with me. And uh you know, able to say the things you would expect. They said, oh, they were, you know, so grateful to see me wake up. They were so, you know, happy. They didn't know if I was ever really going to be able to speak again or do anything again. And and nobody mentioned the eyesight, but mm -hmm. it, it, it was a great comfort. Um, my, my sister and I had been, uh, as kids, not all that close, but in our yeah, probably five or six, seven years before this, we had become very, very close. Um, as I was going through a divorce, she kind of reached out to me and, you know, just said if there's anything she could ever do, you know, and she flew down from Chicago to right to do that. It, it made a huge difference. So, you, of course, my dad. Yeah. Well, I just I, I need to give a shout out to one of our our loyal listeners, and now today one of our viewers, Beth O'Leary. A follow yeah. is tuning in from her car outside of Carpool Line today, along with Jeff Gidre and Carol Van Hooser and, and rural Texas with Bevlin is tuning in in New Jersey. We have friends tuning in from around the United States and around the world, learning wow. about the author of Snowblind. His name is Bill Johnson. This episode is brought to you by our friends from Keeley Companies. Bill, you, you spent about a week in Atlanta recovering before ultimately you're on an airplane being traveled back to St. Louis, you recover at Barnes over time. And it was that you begin to learn that the eyesight's not coming back. And in the book, you wrote really emotionally about some of the stories and some of the quotes that others shared with you about that. But it's one of your quotes about the difference between admitting and accepting that mm -hmm. I want to share. And then I'm just going to ask you, uh, what those words mean to you as you wrote them, as you heard them, and now as you live them. So here's the quote. 
Admitting that I was blind was simple. After all, I was in the hospital room, could see only blackness, had knocked over several drinks. And when I was finally free of the IV lines, I was still not allowed to get out of bed by myself. But admitting that fact was quite different from accepting what had happened to me. Talk about the difference between admitting that you were going to be blind and fully accepting that fact. Yeah, you know, I I think um, admitting is, um, I guess, a little bit more on the surface, as though I really couldn't deny there was a lot of logic that I could not deny that I couldn't see um, in that immediate moment. Um, you know, what, what happened, uh, and I'm grateful for today in that hospital room was um, I had had a lot of bluster and I, I kind of tried to put up a front like this was no big deal. You know, let me out of here. I'm going to get back to my life. And, you know, knowing, I guess, somewhere subconsciously that nobody was going to let me out that particular day. But when I when it was scheduled that I would get out, there was an afternoon where I think I, I really did accept it. I came to grips with the fact that, you know, this this had been kind of an uh, entertaining experience to some degree with the nurses around and the, uh, everybody catering to whatever I wanted. But I realized I, I really couldn't open my eyes and this was, it was going to be black forever. And um, I, I just, you know, had to come to grips with that. And that to me was the, the accepting and it was a, an emotional afternoon and um I think it could be described in a couple different ways by a psychologist or, or somebody that, you know, had more faith in God um, than, than I did back then. Um, but, you know, one way or another, I was, I was given the gift of acceptance. It, it, mm. it took some emotion, it took some anger, and it took, uh, you know, all of that that we hear about in the five stages of grief. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, can't, I had to come to grips with it. Well, you, you wrote about coming to grips with it. And I, I have a couple quotes that I pulled from the book. You know, in any time, Bill, I see Beth reading a book and she gets all the way to the end of it. I know that that is an awesome book. And so she's she was fully invested in your book from page one all the way until the very end. This quote jumped off at both of us. It is this. I lay in my bed. And remember, this is while he's still in hospital, still recovering and grinned. What had come over me to cause such total acceptance and peace? There had been many miracles in the past week, and this overwhelming peace was yet another. It was a miracle that I wasn't killed with my associates, a miracle that Grady Memorial Hospital was a world-renowned trauma hospital. And now, the greatest miracle of all, the gift of acceptance was bestowed on me that afternoon in Barnes Hospital. The gift of acceptance. Yeah. What a miracle. Did, did you have... You mentioned a moment ago, you know, you did not have a lot of faith back then. You hinted at, right. did, did you have faith leading into the the gunshot? And how did, how did this experience change that faith? Um, you know, I, I had gone to church um, when I was young up until the age of 18. Um, every Sunday sang in the choir, did the fellowship. Um, and, and it really never meant a, a thing to me, John. Um, as soon as I went off to college and was able to not have my mom taking me to church on Sundays, I, I didn't, uh, 
I didn't, I didn't engage in, in church or religion at all, frankly. Um, this really got my attention. Um, I knew at some level that I'm not that good. I, I was a self-reliant person, but I, I knew that something special had happened. Um, it didn't really change my, um, I guess my, my belief or my faith in a, in a big way immediately. Um, but it certainly was a marker. Um, you know, since then I've, as I've gone through life, I mean, I, I have developed a belief in a power greater myself at this point in my life. And I, I look back at all the things in the quote that you read and, you know, especially this, you know, the gift of acceptance. Um, and, and I, I do know that there is a, there is a God, you know, so. Bill, you wrote about your friend's phone calls while you're in hospital. You you wrote about a a dear friend bringing you white castles and a couple cold beers. And you also wrote about the first time you got to hear your children's laughter in room. You mentioned earlier, you went through a divorce uh, through that marriage. Previously though, you were blessed with two little ones, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. For me, when I was in hospital, the greatest joy I experienced was actually not the famous people coming by to visit. It was uh, that ritual on Sundays when my siblings would make their way down the hallway and I would hear the laughter first and then the children come into my room and in their innocence, I think I found mine. What Mm -hmm. what was it like for you to have a six-year-old and a four-year-old jump back into your world even as you were learning how to live within it? Well, it just, it meant everything to me. Um, At that point, it had probably been 10 or 11, 12 days out, something like that. And I had not spoken to them on the phone um, at all. Um, so when they, you know, my my uh, ex-wife showed up with the two kids and, uh, you know, let them come come running in the room. And I described my daughter kind of scrambled up on the bed. Right. And, and my son was a little bit more reticent. But, you know, it just meant everything to me that I could hold them and feel them and, and know that uh, that part of my life was really still there. Bill, with your care, I was amazed at how quickly these mean PTs and these mean OTs got you out of bed, got you getting dressed again, got you moving back into life again, and how quickly they let you not only kind of figure out how to move around the hallways in hospital, but they even took you on a day trip back to your home. Would you describe what that was like that first time coming home? I'll tell you, first of all, you know, I've I was at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. I'm very, you know, very familiar with where it is. And um, they, they took me down to, um, I think it was the OT uh, occupational therapist car to drive over. So they helped me get in the car and um, that, that was all great. And then I, I remember I could picture driving west coming out of Barnes Hospital up to Kings Highway and then turning left. And I could feel the cars, you know, roll me over to the right as we turn left. and. I could, I track our route through every bump up on highway 44, you know, off on the exit ramp and then ultimately up another little bump into my driveway. I I was exhilarated, I guess is what I would say. These, uh, the, the occupational therapist woman who was with me, um, she told me to slow down a couple of times because, you know, I, I had no cane, I had no experience blind and I, 
pictured where things were, but I was not taking any care. If, if I scrambled up my front steps, had there been things on the stairs, you know, I might've, uh, might've tripped. Um, but it, you know, I was, I was just exhilarated. I was thrilled at that point. I had two and a half weeks, um, you know, going on three weeks of just being anxious to get out and go home. Mom and dad thought home might mean your old childhood home. It might be mean them taking care of you. You had very different ideas. When you were finally released from Barnes, you went home to your house. You went home to uh, no dogs. No, right. you went home, not yet knowing how to use a cane, not yet knowing how to make food. I was amazed, man, to think about your mother and father hugging you goodbye, pulling the door shut, getting back in their car, driving home, knowing that their son was in this house by himself in total darkness. Talk about it from your perspective. How did you feel that night when you were at home by yourself? Uh, you know, I was I was lonely and I was scared. Um, you know, as I said before, I had had a little bit of a uh, little bit of bluster in the hospital where I was just saying, let me out of here, you know, and hopefully in a nice way, but I, I was intent on getting out, going home, going back to work, dropping back into my family's life, um, dropping back into my friend's life with, without really much thought to, uh, you know, the details of any of that. So when I, you know, when my parents left pretty, pretty reluctantly and the, and the front door closed, and there I was by myself. I, it, it was like, okay, Bill, this is what you've been yammering for here. Um, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, as I wrote, I started going, going around the room in a, in a kind of a behavior that I've, it served me pretty well to go around and feel the various end table and the television and what's on top. And it's, you know, pictures of my kids and I knocked it over. Um, but it really gave me a feeling of what was in the room. It reminded me what my living room looked like. Um, and it gave me some comfort that, that I was there. But um, it was scary, no doubt. Billy. Yeah, John, and I'll say the more, you know, the more as I went through other rooms, I started to stumble across other things that, um, you know, I just couldn't do. I couldn't do, I couldn't differentiate whether it was a drawer with a bunch of bills in it or ultimately um, in the kitchen, realizing that a can of beans looked like a can of, uh, of a can of green beans looked just like a can of pork and beans to me, as, as I say, look as, as I feel it. Um, or the box of Cheerios versus wheat thins, but at least I could open them up and feel which one was which. Um, so I started to first come and, you know, start, I think it's first started to sink into me that there was a lot I couldn't do. And I would almost do like dot, dot, dot yet. It was almost as if every challenge that you encountered, whether, whether it was bills or frying bacon or getting dressed or if whatever the thing is, whatever the opportunity was, you never viewed it as the end of the line. You viewed all of it as just, uh, I will do this. I just can't do it yet. And one of the big steps that you're going to take back toward the new normal is when you hop on a flight and you make your way down to Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. Would you would you talk about why Lions World? What is that? What were you hoping to get out of it? 
Yeah. Um, you know, in the hospital, my sister had started this, um, doing some research into where I might go to um, get what would essentially be occupational therapy, assuming I could could and, and, and would get the opportunity to go back to my old job. Um, but someone from uh, St. Louis Society for the Blind visited me in the hospital and check, you know, look at the situation. I guess the social worker from Barnes to start at the beginning um, didn't exactly know exact what to do with me, but knew that it required some skills and expertise beyond the, what they normally encounter in the hospital. So it was St. Louis Society for the Blind, and she referred me to the state of Missouri um, Department of Rehab Services for the Blind. And so that's the answer to your question is there was a contract between the state of Missouri and the school in, in Arkansas named Lions World School for the Blind that is supported by Lions Clubs all over the country. Um, and, and what I needed to learn was, uh, you know, I, I didn't know, but what I, what ended up being important to me was the orientation and mobility, which is walking around with a cane safely and knowing where I was. Um, the, so it turns out about that time, um, computerized voices were being put on the little, on the laptops and, uh, it, it made accessible some simple DOS programs like WordPerfect. Um, in particular. Um, I didn't know any of this at the time, but I was exposed to it down there. That was one of the key things they had to teach me. Um, I guess like anybody who's newly blind, I would have thought, boy, I've, I've heard of Braille. I guess maybe Braille is something I need to learn. So I, I was taught Braille. They, uh, they also ran me through a lot of other classes just to as though I was starting from scratch, but just, I guess, to be able to check off the boxes, especially for the state of Missouri. And it had to do with things as simple as being able to sign my name yeah. in, a, in a repeatable fashion, being able to use a calculator that had been outfitted with a voice. And they called that class mathematics, I think, or arithmetic. And uh, they probably should have called it calculator, but... Uh, uh, you know, how to dress, um, mm. how to, uh, grooming, I mean, some kind of basic things. And in, in many of those cases, you know, I was really grateful that I had gotten to the age of 41 and I had, you know, an education, a profession. I'd learned all those, a lot of those skills. That, you know, there, there was actually people going to Lions World who needed to learn those things. So I'm going to encourage our studio audience, those who are tuning in from around the, the nation and around the world, if they have any questions, you are listening to Bill Johnson. He is the author of Snowblind. He is a phenomenal human being. He's also my neighbor and my friend. We're going to be taking a few of the folks who are commenting today and sending you, this is the, the courtesy Live Inspired, we're going to be sending you signed copies of Bill's book. So you want to let us know where you're tuning in from, what inspires you most about Bill, or maybe a question that you have for him. So anything you chat in, it's going to increase the likelihood of you having an, op an opportunity to get your very own, and you will want it. It's called Snowblind. It's a beautiful book. We'll talk more about that title here in a moment, Bill. 
Mm -hmm. For graduation from Lion's World, they eventually take a man who dressed himself that morning and prepared himself for the day that morning and got himself downstairs to eat breakfast that morning and fed himself that morning. Well, eventually they put you into a car. They take you into Little Rock. They drop you off at the quarter and they wish you well. <laughs> to pass the test, you got to figure out how to get back to the school. It's an amazing story. But for my friends who are listening to my voice right now or watching our program right now, just imagine being dropped off at a street corner far away from where your home is, and now your eyes are shut and you've got to figure out how to navigate this. Uh, th this was Bill's life. It remains his life. He passes the test. He gets back to the school. He eventually gets back on a plane, back to St. Louis, back to his kids. And yet it's still not an easy life. Bill, I, I, I told you there were a couple of quotes that really moved me. Here comes another right. one. You, you wrote, hey, once again, I felt all alone. This is now you in St. Louis back at your home. Yeah. Once again, I felt all alone in a strange place. I was blind in the world I used to see and know. The scripted part of my journey was over. Now I had to start walking the walk. I had to start dealing with the world as an independent person, not just on weekend visits home when much of the weekend was filled with my family, friends, my children, increasingly Virginia. We'll get back mm -hmm. to that. But I had to do it every single day. No one was going to knock on my door and tell me what to do next. The next move was up to me. When you hear that quote shared through my voice, but your words, talk, yeah. about it. talk about what that means, not only to you, but to us. Well, it, it you know, it really was true that the, um, the, the four or five weeks, six weeks, whatever it was between when I got out of the hospital and when I went to Lions World, um, I had a lot of, there was a lot of folks around, whether it was neighbors, friends, my parents, my sister was still in town. And, and I really wasn't, um, I, well, I knew what I was going to do. I had something to work on. I was getting, you know, dealing with the state of Missouri as it turned out. So when I got back from Lions World um, after Thanksgiving, I, I was just struck with the fact there wasn't any script that, you know, now I needed to, you know, go on with my life. And I had been saying all along, this is what I wanted to do. So here I was, you know, struck with it. One of the things I say in there somewhere, John, is that, you know, as these various things that I couldn't do, whether they were little, you know, simple tasks in my life or, you know, bigger things in my life, um, I was, I always kind of looked at them just naturally somehow. I looked at them all as being a puzzle that I needed to solve. Um, and, and I think that served me very well. I, I got a kick out of when I, when I then was able to learn to do things. Um, so, you know, yeah, sitting there at home with, uh, by myself with nothing to do, nowhere to go on a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, you know, I, I knew that there were some big things that I had been saying I wanted to do in the future, which were going back to work. Um, primarily. Right. Going back to work, raising two children, right. a life, walking around the neighborhood, returning to the man that you knew you could become. And yeah. Bill, you wrote about it beautifully. You almost gamified everything. You, you became like a child again, yeah. rather than feeling anxiety around falling, if you will, knowing that that's part of growing. And so yeah. I, I just deeply moved and 
for you, there were some massive blessings that grew out of this tragedy. One of them was a chance encounter with a nurse from neurosurgery. Her name was Virginia. She came into your room a couple of times while you were at Barnes. Uh, she was your contact person afterwards on the phone. But uh, she was much more than that as things progressed forward. Uh, forward. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you talk a little bit about who Virginia is. And, uh, what you're yeah. So uh, Virginia was, uh, she was a, uh, a, a nurse, um, I don't know, coordinator, I think was her title, with the Department of Neurosurgery and um, came by the hospital room. I think it was probably the first morning that I woke up there and knocked on the door and, and she was kind of doing rounds uh, similar to a resident. Um, so she, you know, there was a knock on the door and I had uh, by then learned to say who is it whenever there there was a knock and she said uh well my name is virginia and i said oh virginia is it true there really is a santa claus and i that don't that line came to me out of some old movie and i i don't know how that happened but uh that's what i said and she said well there is if you if you believe and uh <laughs> so then she came in and you know introduced herself and asked me how i was doing and you know, she was really the very first kind of a human person. I mean, the doctors were were nice and they were engaging, but, you know, they were, they didn't, anyway, Virginia's, you know, listened to me some and answered some questions and I asked her some questions, you know, about what was in store for me or whether I would see again that, um, you know, maybe sometimes some of the doctors, you know, were a little bit more evasive about um but yeah one way one way or another before i got out of barn she had really become a confident and then yeah as you say john they uh she was a representative back in the department of neurosurgery if because i when i left the hospital i had some uh medications i was still on i had a eh, not terribly open but still had some wounds on my head where there had been a um a little craniotomy it's called that opened up my skull at one point and uh so that I, I was still under the care of the doctors and she was my contact yeah well she was your contact she was also going to be a dinner date here shortly you uh <laughs> picked up the phone with the excuse of talking medicine but i think you were really thinking far more than that what was it about this woman named virginia that you began to say think to yourself and, you know, maybe it's more than her just answering questions or taking out stitches or whatever else she was doing for you medically. Maybe there's a relationship here and maybe it's even an intimate relationship down the road. What was it about Jenny that you saw that potential? What were you attracted to first? You know, she she was just a very, you know, pleasant, charming, um, funny, witty person. Um, she would listen to what I had to say and, and you know, always in an upbeat mood, always in a good mood. And uh you know, we just, we just seem to get along. We, we just seem to hit it off. Um, she, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, I guess, John, but she, she, you know, there was something beyond the professional relationship with the doctors and with the other nurses and a lot of people down there that somehow we just connected. Well, I'm glad you did because now yeah. she's my neighbor as well. And as, as lovely as you are, Bill, um, she, I call her Jenny. You refer to her in the book as Virginia until she tells you halfway through. By the way, my friends call me Jenny. 
Yeah. That's when you stopped referring to her by the professional name and, and referred to right. her the one that Beth and I know her as Miss Jenny, right. an amazing lady. By the way, while you're speaking about her and your love, uh, we're showing pictures of some of the travels that you've taken together. It, it strikes me. Traveling is challenging for all of us. It's a particularly challenging when you can't see necessarily what the next step might look like. You can't obviously bill and yet you unapologetically travel around not only your own backyard, your own neighborhood, but you travel around the world with Jenny. Uh, what is it about traveling that you enjoy so much? Well, I, uh, you, you know, when I, as I went back to, I'll say as I went back to work, um, traveling between my home and the airport and then between cities or even countries and then from another airport to a hotel is really kind of the easiest, um, especially when I'm on my own, because that whole part of the of, uh, travel industry, so to speak, between taxi cabs and assistance at the airport is really set up for me. Um, and it makes it very easy. When, when Jenny and I travel, of course, you know, we just kind of go as tourists together and, and go through the security together and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's two, different, two different answers there. Um, what I like about, what, what, so we did go, last year we were married 25 years, um, two years actually, two years ago before COVID. Um, and we decided to go on a cruise and some of those pictures I'm sure from Spain and Portugal and Morocco, um, we would get whatever city or country we were in, we would always get a, a tour guide. And I just love a good tour guide who can tell a story of, you know, the history of the country. And, and that's typically what they tell you. Mm. Um, more than, you know, look at this beautiful, this or that cathedral in Spain. Um, and, and we get to know somebody from the, you know, the tour guide who's, who's a, a, you know, a local usually. And uh, I like that and I like the history. Um, in Morocco, the, the guy who was our tour guide was a really nice guy and gave us a lot of uh, background about you know how they ended up with three different religions living all together in, in Morocco, um, which I found fascinating. Um, so it's, it's the history part. Yeah, you know, so Bill, while, while you're speaking, we're getting a ton of comments online. One of them from a friend of mine named Jamie Seitz. Jamie Seitz says, Bill, my dad and Pat just gave me your book. I'm 50 pages in. I love it. Best to uh, you, and Jenny. So Jamie's loving the book. And then there's a comment from a woman named Carol. Carol summed up exactly how I felt every time you and I talk, but in particular, how I felt when I read your book now twice. Carol said this. It's amazing how calm he seems through it all. I feel I would be devastated and I just feel so sorry for myself indefinitely. Bill, thank you for sharing your strength, muscle sign, and you inspire me. God bless you. Oh, thank you. Thank Bill, you very much. Bill, I mentioned that there were many blessings that grew out of this profound challenge and tragedy, not only for you, but also for your family. Your sister, Catherine, uh, yeah. was a successful lawyer working in Chicago in the early 90s and single, yeah. never had a child. And then she got a phone call that would change her life when her brother was shot temple through temple. She hopped on the next flight out of O'Hare, made her way down to Atlanta and was at your bedside yeah. where she also had a chance encounter with a gentleman uh, named Rich. Talk about Rich and Catherine and uh, 
and maybe even like the, one of the gifts that grew out of their marriage? Yeah, um, they they uh, they met uh, shortly, uh, maybe even before I had um, waked up from my my part of the experience. Um, and Rich was a fellow that worked at the same company I did. Um, he uh, and he well. He was uh, there to help kind of make sure our families were well taken care of and get the bills paid and, you know, do what what needed to be done to try to make the best of this bad situation. And uh, I think the way my sister tells it is that he um, was he and she were were involved in getting a lot of bills paid and doing those, some business sorts of things. He was a contact with our company. Um, and when you know he traveled on business, they got together up in Chicago and went out to dinner. And I think around September, and she said something clicked there too, and and they ended up um, getting married before the end of the year. In fact, so they, uh, you know, they then uh, it took a few years, but they were then uh, blessed with a couple of uh, a couple of kids that were were born that. You know, might not be on, wouldn't be on this planet had it not been for what happened to me. So. Bill, you you don't write much about it. Instead, you just live it. Uh -huh. And you and I talked right before we hit record and started streaming live. This concept of forgiveness. You you had what many people might say was a raw deal. You, yeah. you were just making your way from an office meeting in Atlanta, trying to get to a flight back home to your family, and someone came up and ambushed your partner ambush your clients and ambush you and, and yet it's it seems miraculously i think that that you don't have bitterness toward this person could you just talk about that because many of us have a tough time letting go when someone cuts us off while, while we're driving many of us have a tough time letting go of what what she said this morning or what he said mm -hmm. this afternoon or an email that someone else sent critiquing our work you had someone take away two dear things to you and your eyesight, and yet it doesn't seem like you have much bitterness toward that person. Um, yeah, John, I, I, you know, I will say that I, when I used to drive, I can remember sometimes when I got cut off and I, I'm just, I'm human like everybody else and I can get angry. Um, as I said before, I, this, there was, there wasn't any, you know, immediate trauma or um, I wasn't confronted with a crime. I didn't see the fellow that did this. Um, and in many ways, you know, I'm, I'm just very grateful for that. I think I, that I guess probably, I guess my explanation is that because of that, I really never personalized it. I don't have a vision in my head of what he looked like or what his posture was or what I thought before he fired or I, I don't have any of that, that that I think would have made my experience somewhat different. Um, so initially, I, I, I wasn't, I, I guess I was just detached from what, what the actual event was and that somebody, somebody was to blame for this. I think through the years, my approach has been more that there's just really nothing in it for me to blame mm -hmm. it on that guy. Um, to get upset with him, to give him a piece of my consciousness or a piece of my mind or um, let him live in my head. I, I just can't let him do that. Um, so I've, I've never, never let that happen.
and uh, he's you know he's in prison, and I presume he's going to be there for a long time. And it's um, just you know I'm I'm still just not going to go there. He, he I don't need to give him any thought. He's done enough. Mm. Done enough damage and changed my life enough. Um, there, there's nothing for me to gain by dwelling on him. Bill, we're, we're receiving questions from your now friends who are tuning in online with us live today. Okay. Named Carol. Carol, you have now, I think anytime someone asks two or three questions, you definitely get a book sent to you, Carol. So uh, <laughs> we will direct message you. We're going to get your address and I'll have Bill sign a copy and I will personally mail it down to you. But the question is, Bill, were you always this laid back? Did, did this injury change you and kind of help you focus on the things you can control, let go of the things you can't? Or was that just your personality even before you were, were attacked? Um, wow, good question. Um, certainly, I'll, I'll take out of your question the part about, you know, did I get more focused? And, and I certainly did get more focused on my life. Um, and what was important for me to do, and, and maybe in some ways what was not important for me to do. I, I was always um, reasonably laid back, laid back but I, I just like all of us, I had anxieties and worries about things that, you know, I, I maybe in hindsight or in retrospect, I'd say are often kind of trivial and not all that important. And, um, you know, maybe I needed to just kind of make decisions and, and not procrastinate and uh, I, I don't, whatever, but um, I, I, I don't know that that answers your question, but I, you know, I'll just reiterate that I, I really did get focused on my life yes. and what I needed to do seriously. And, um, you know, no kidding myself and, you know, no, no taking it easy. No. Mm. Well, you, there's a little girl who lives up the street from you named Grace. Her name, last name is O'Leary. I'm not going to play favorites among my own children, but she's at the very top of the list, tied for uh, first at least. Uh, she wanted to know, what do you miss most about not being able to see? So from the old days, for those of us with sight, and we just take it for granted, Bill, you've now been without yours for three decades, and little Grace wants to know what you miss most about not having sight. I'll tell you, the, the thing that struck me right off the bat was the lack of mobility that how challenging and complicated and, and sometimes expensive it was for me just to go to the store. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to go to the grocery store and get a jar of cashews, it was, um, you know, a fairly involved process and with taxi cabs and blah, blah, blah. Um, I also noticed there was some privacy that I lost, um, whether it was my mom, which didn't bother me reading my mail, or other people that are in my house who I asked to read my mail back in the time when I was, was single without Jenny. Um, or, you know, sometimes going through an ATM in a taxi cab and having to tell the cab driver my PIN number and, and trust him that he wasn't somehow writing it down or stealing my, you know, who knows what. I couldn't think it through. But um, The actual things that I miss seeing. Um, initially, I would have said people's faces and, and smiles. And um, at some point in the book, I wrote just kind of the variety of the world around me. Um, 
I, I think that that kind of fades a little bit. Um, I picture people that I have known and seen as they were the last time I saw them, which might be a little upsetting for my 34 year old daughter who the last time I saw her, she was four or five years old, but uh, um, you know, and the people that I've never seen, um, I've, I've learned that there's, there's no way for me to imagine what somebody actually looks like with, you know, any degree of confidence, but I do, I have a, I imagine what John looks like and I imagine what my wife, Jenny looks like. Um, so I get some, some comfort out of that. Um, I've seen Jenny, you, you, I'll kick the coverage. Um, <laughs> As for me, uh, keep, keep walking, okay? You're, you're not missing much over here, but Jen, uh, beautiful. And Beth and I were even talking about you. You're a handsome guy. You haven't lost that, and you haven't lost your your peace about life, your humor, which comes out, I think, beautifully in the book, but even, even more so just in your candor in life. And uh, we have a whole bunch of people commenting on your perspective, on like your personality, including one from my friend Maria. So I'm going to put this up on the screen. Thank you, Amy, for your help. She writes, Bill, others can really learn from you and the way you have handled what happened to you, where I believe most people may not have handled it in the same way. Like Carol mentioned, listening to you and to John and your stories are truly eye-opener, eye-openers. So, uh, Bill, you're helping people see the gift of life that is in front of them if they choose to see it and choose to embrace it. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I met you after you began to share your story, I asked what happened. I, I think most people don't mind being asked. And you, you shared, John, I, I was, uh, I was shot in Atlanta and I said, I'm sorry. And you replied so poetically and you replied similarly in the book. And I'm going to read it word for word. It's the fourth quote that I wrote down. Mm -hmm. And you said to me, and you said also to the readers of the book, this, you said, don't be, I say, I'm the luckiest person you'll run into today. I should have been killed. And I was just blinded. I had no other injuries and I very quickly accepted that I was blind. I had great support for my family and friends, a job that I could still do, and an employer who let me come back to give it a try. My world is just as big and just as broad as it ever was. Bill, talk about that final sentence in particular. My world is just as big and just as broad as it ever was. Well, I'd say, you know, first of all, um, and in answer to the, the, that last question, I, I'd say that, um, you know, beyond, uh, we talked earlier about, you know, hope and, and strength and courage and things like that. Um, I try to be grateful. And I, and I you know, that, that kind of came to me early on that I was grateful that I wasn't killed and that I did have my life. I knew I was still you know, the same guy with the same mind, the same personality, um, and, and so much on a daily basis that I find in life that I'm grateful for. Um, that, that's what really kind of keeps me going. Um, you know, the big broad world, I'll, I'll say, you know, a lot of that I'll give my wife credit for. Um, we do whatever we want. You know, we go out to dinner in the nicest restaurants, and over the years, I've worked out a pretty good strategy to not be knocking over wine glasses, for example, and things like that. I'm, you know, really very presentable out in public. And uh, no, my wife and I just, we go do whatever we want. Um, like I we talked about vacations, 
we had a house for a number of years at Lake of the Ozarks. Um, the chapter I should have written that I didn't had to do with water skiing for the first time after I was blinded, but, um, you know, I, I largely do everything I used to do before. Um, I recognize very much that I have a little bit of extra assistance at some aspects of many, many things. I've, I've learned to not be so proud that I can't ask for a little bit of help and to thank people when they help me. And um, I, I just, you know, I find that life's pretty easy if I can, can do that to uh, ask for help and be thankful and, and be grateful for everything I've got. You may not have written about water skiing. You wrote extensively about snow skiing. Mm -hmm. And I will insist that our listeners and our viewers just grab a copy of the book Snowblind to learn about how a man who has no vision can crush the slopes of Vale and Aspen and Breckenridge and Keystone and any, anything you can ski. Bill can ski better, baby. So Bill is an amazing, mm -hmm. accomplished skier. He's a great human being. And yet, Bill, what we know is that there's so many folks out there today who are struggling. They're isolated. They're struggling in a relationship or financially or with an addiction. They're just done. You know, like many of us just feel like I can barely hold on. And yet you write about how your world is expanding, how it's mm -hmm. even bigger and how blessed you are. What, what advice would you give as we get ready to pivot into the Live Inspired Seven? What advice would you give to someone today who's whose light is beginning to fade and whose hope is beginning to become farther diminished? Well, um, I think in, in my case, and I, I can just talk from my own experience, um, it, it was accepting, it was, it was being honest with myself and accepting a situation and then taking ownership of it and making a decision to do what I needed to do, my, to do my role, do my part of what needed to be done. Um, I said before, I, I used to be, uh, I used to procrastinate. I would have a lot of difficulty making decisions. And uh, I, I learned over the years that making, making decisions and going forward, um, I mean, I always felt better when I finally made the decision and had a direction and started you know, working for um, changing whatever that, whatever it was, fixed, you know, doing it, taking some actions to make it better mm. um, and resolve it, whatever the right verb might be. Um, so I guess my, my advice is to uh, get on with it. And I think you'll find that, you know, once you have a direction um, and made a commitment that you'll have some hope and uh, find the courage to do what needs to be done. Bill, people are thanking you for having the courage to not only do what needed to be done, but to show everybody else what could be done in their lives. We, we have seven questions that tether all of our remarkable guests, whether they are leaders or authors or astronauts or overcomers or mountain climbers or today neighbors, who are all of the things I mentioned a moment ago, including a phenomenal author. But Bill, the, the first question for you is, what is the best book you have ever read? So looking back, whether it's recent or back from your childhood, What's one of the most influential books you've ever read? Um, I believe it's called Pillars of the Earth. Um, it's a, uh, oh boy, I can't think of the author. Um, it's part, it's the first of a trilogy. It's, uh, I'll, I'll come up with the author's name, but it's just awesome. Pillars of the Earth. 
Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we'll have some wonderful follower who will uh, Google it for us and give us the answer. Pillars of the Earth spills choice. Bill, what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Um, you know, I would say curiosity and uh, willingness to learn. Um, I was curious about things, you know, mechanical and, and things, you know, uh, academic to a degree. I, I liked, I liked learning. I didn't really like the structure of school and teachers in that environment so much, but I, I always did like learning and I, I was always curious to know more. Hmm. Bill, if your house happened to be on fire and Jenny and the dogs and the animals are all outside safe, so everybody's outside, everything is okay, but you have an opportunity to go back into that home and save one item, what would be the one thing that you would come running back outside with? Um, you know, I have a uh, I have a device called a Victor Reader Stream, which is a digital book reader on which there's probably a hundred books that I intend to read. Uh, so it may sound kind of uh, self-serving, but that's what jumps out at me. Um, some of the some of the adaptive devices in my life are 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 pretty huge. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So, by the way, Pillars of the Earth is written by a gentleman named Ken Follett. That's it, Ken Follett. Ken Follett, yeah. the author. So uh, yeah. thank you, community, for sharing that with us. And, and by the way, that didn't seem selfish at all for you to go in and get, grab that reader. To me, it makes an no. awful lot of sense. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody, living or deceased, who, who would you like to be seated next to? Um, you know, the first name that comes to mind is, is my, uh, first thing that comes to mind is my boss, Tony, wow. who was killed. And I, I write in the book that he was a much, much brighter individual than me with an advanced degree from, uh, MIT, um, in computer science or engineering or whatever it was back in the eighties. And uh, just a fascinating guy and a, and a very, very good friend. Um, I, I, would, I would love to talk with him. He, he had an intellect that um, could always, always challenge me to do more and, and always keep me interested. What's the first thing you would say to Tony? So maybe something that went unsaid or something you'd like to say after what happened? I'd like to just tell him he... he in the book, I say it's an old Tony LaRusso saying, but I say he was he was tied for first as the best boss I ever had in my life. He, uh, I just would like to tell, like to thank him. He had hired me away from another firm. We were in a similar segment of the consulting technology field, and uh, I I just like love to thank him for the opportunity that he gave me and the trust he showed in me. Mm. Well, one of your friends, Mary Lee Mulv Mulvaney, I believe, is thanking you for your love and for your example. So Ma Mary Lee, we're glad you are part of this and I'm glad that I was able to share, share that with Bill. Bill, we're down, my friends, only three questions left from the Live Inspired Seven. Uh, okay. As we take down toward the hour together, what's the best advice you've ever received? 
Uh, wow. Um, I guess I'm just the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, you know, even as I, when I was an adolescent, my parents used to tell me to not worry about what other people thought about me. Um, and as I guess the older I get, the more I maybe learn to see the wisdom of that, that if, if I'm making decisions and doing things to make, to, to impact in a positive manner, what somebody else thinks about me, um, that's not a very good motivation. I, I need to do what's, what's in my heart and what I want to do and what's going to fulfill me. Great, great advice for all of us. And uh, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? If you could go back 21 years before that shooting and whisper some encouragement or some advice, uh, into yourself at age 20, what would you say to yourself? Go to class. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at uh, University of Kansas and I was a really un unengaged student. Um, now I, you know what I would tell my, I would have asked, I would ask myself to um, get challenged with getting an education um, and, and stretch, challenge myself to you know, get the best education in the best field that interested me the most. Um, I, I've said to a number of friends, I, I came by being basically a network and telecom engineer by growing up in that field. Had I been more serious when I was in college, I'm confident I would have ended up in the School of Engineering. So. But I think you've uh, learned far more from the classroom of life than you would have learned in whatever yeah. school you went for engineering. But I, I hear you loud and clear. And I think it leads perfectly into our seventh Live Inspired and our final question for Bill Johnson. It is this. It has been said that all great people, Bill, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Bill Johnson, neighbor, friend, author, and overcomer, and skier, and snow skier, and parent, among other job titles. How would you like your one sentence to read? Um, I would like it to read that, um, I, uh, I, I gave life 100%. Bill Johnson did indeed give life 100%. He is the author of a book titled Snow Blind. It's available at various bookstores around the country and around the world, including Amazon online. Bill, there's also a couple local retailers that I think have physical copies. Would, would you talk about that? Yeah, there's a um, one of them is called the Webster Rose Bookshop on North Gore. Um, that is a kind of a successor business to the one with the same name that was in a different location that specializes, and I think they still do, in children's books. And I used to shop there for books for my kids back, you know, when I could see and when I was reading books to them at very early ages. Um, the other one that I've heard has the book is called the, uh, I don't even remember the name of it. It's on, uh, it's on Big Bend also here in Webster. The Novel Neighbor. The Novel Neighbor. That's exactly it. Yep. And, uh, we will be picking a few lucky winners from those comments who, uh, will receive a signed copy, Bill Johnson, I'm holding you to it, uh, from him to you, thanking you for your active participation today and for leaving the message tomorrow. 
Bill Johnson, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Live Inspired Podcast. I want to thank Amy Lett, our producer, who does not only all the audio, but also the video for this program. I want to thank Rusty Keeley and the Keeley Companies for sponsoring the Live Inspired Podcast. And most, in, most importantly, I want to thank you, our listeners, for being part of our movement, part of our community, and part of our belief that in spite of the headwind and the challenges and the dis- disabilities we all face internally and externally, that the foundation remains firm and that even better days remain ahead. So my friends, for this time and until next time, that is Bill Johnson. My name is John O'Leary. Today's your day. Live inspired. My friends, I told you that Bill had an incredible story. Can you imagine meeting a guy like this as he walks by your house with a cane, unable to see the next step, but boldly going left and right, left and right, left and right, up the hill, then eventually past your house, left-hand turn at the stop sign. He then had to travel past five more intersections before making a right-hand turn on a busy street, then going for about another half mile to get his workout in. And then doing so again in reverse order on the way back day after day. And I had an opportunity one of those days to meet Bill Johnson, to hear part of this story, to become his friend, and then eventually to read the book Snowblind. I wrote the foreword for the book Snowblind. It's worth checking out. So I'm glad that you were part of today's journey through the Live Inspired podcast this time with Bill Johnson. Probably what jumps out most at me after having that conversation with my friend is this. Just the humility, the honesty, the positivity, the joyfulness, but the realness with which he shares his life. He talks about like just getting after it. You know, I I couldn't do anything about it. So I just figured I'm not going to let him live within my mind anymore. I'm going to take my next right step forward. I'm going to live within my circle, control the controllables and let go of all the things that I cannot control. It's almost like he was sharing with us how he does it. But if you were really leaning forward, really taking notes, clearly, this is a way that you and I can take action, rise above obstacles, and live our best life going forward in our stories as well. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm just going to encourage you to tune into the rest of the Live Inspired podcast. Well, how do we do that, John? Subscribe. I've heard someone once told me, you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast. Well, here's your chance today. Subscribe to the Live Inspired Podcast, and that will ensure that every week they show up in living color on your doorstep. So subscribe to the Live Inspired Podcast anywhere that you download yours. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Bill joined us via live stream earlier this week. Connecting our community in real time with incredible podcast guests is something that myself and my team are striving to do even more so going forward. So first, if you enjoy this episode, share it with your loved ones. Share it with the people that you are on social platforms with or you work with, you live with, you're doing life with. And then be sure to follow us back on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, everywhere else, so that you don't miss any of the upcoming live streams going forward. You'll be inspired each week to keep taking the next right step forward. I have all the links in our social media accounts. You can learn more about that at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. One more time. Dad, I know you're tuning in today. I know sometimes you text slower. So here we go. One more time. johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired community. 
And I want to thank you, my friends, for believing like I do and like Bill does, that in spite of the headwind and the challenges, that the foundation is firm, that you are a treasured gift, as is your life, and the best of it remains in front of you. And now, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies aspires to be a true leader for businesses and communities. In the words of their CEO, my friend, his name is Rusty Keeley, with a world-class culture focused on people and customer-centric approach, we're truly in the business of people. Check more out about Keeley Companies at KeeleyCompanies.com.